to my podcast this is a special introductory series and before it start there's a few heads up first of all the content of this podcast is going to be incredibly dull and the most interesting part comes at the very last and also please don't take my words too seriously or else they tend to lose their full meaning so yeah um why an introductory series and what heck is this so Before I dive into other podcast materials and before I comment on other topics, I want to do a series of episodes on how I think and where I stand um, on different issues so that my later videos will make more sense to you. Um, For you, uh, this is for you to figure out um, what to expect from this podcast and also whether this is um, to your liking or not and for me personally it's just a good way to keep track of how my thought processes are evolving as Socrates once say knowing thyself is the beginning of wisdom so yeah I'm trying to see how my thought process changes over time and hopefully by analyzing that change I can know myself a little better and I highly encourage you um, to try to do the same for yourself as well Okay, so now then let's dive right into uh, my mode of thinking and how I think. So there's a couple of things that I have came up with with, with, with regards to um, where I stand and my thinking process. So I think in the last episode I talked about how my, my perspective are very politically oriented and how I like to break everything down and analyze everything. And then there's a couple of reasons for that. And the first part of my thinking is that I like to use a lot of inductive reasoning. So what is inductive reasoning? So there's there are two types, two types of reasoning, inductive and deductive. Inductive is a type that I use, and it's basically like you're using specific examples to draw a general principle. And what I mean by that is, let me give you an example. Let's say... In a school with people who go into um, English honors class in ninth grade, they tend to do better um, later on down the road with college essays and also standardized testing. And I get that conclusion by observing the people in English honors, which are individual examples, individual cases, and I see how well they're doing then, and I see how well they're doing when they were applying for college. And based on their performance and evaluation, I can tell, okay, so based on these case studies that I have seen, I come up with a general theory, which is that people who have been heavily involved in English honors tend to do better. Um, later on down the road when they apply for college and and standardized testing. That's inductive reasoning. Deductive reasoning, on the other hand, is basically just to flip that entire process around. So I have the principle first. So let's say I read it somewhere in a book or um, I heard it somewhere from from someone that says, okay, the students who um, go to English honors um, tend to do better down the road. So therefore, I highly encourage you to do English honors as soon as possible or as early as you can. 
Then in that case, I would say, okay, with that principle, I'm going to apply it to individual cases and see if that works. For me personally, it works. For a lot of friends around me, it works. So then that is deductive reasoning. Um, there are a couple of benefits and let's say pros and cons of each type. The problem with inductive reasoning is that um, sometimes you might be cherry picking data. By cherry picking, I mean you're only selecting a very biased sample, a very unrepresentative sample from the entire population, or that your observation may be hindered by some sort of external factor that you're not looking at. So yeah, that's the limitation of my way of thinking. Of course, deductive reasoning has its own limitations as well. But since I'm not primarily thinking in that mode, I figured we can cover that sometime in the future. So yeah, that's one of the potential flaws in my thought about um, biased sampling and also not being able to eliminate confounding variables. And the second part of my thinking that's uh, very prominent is empiricism. Empiricism is this idea of you're looking at what you're actually experiencing and applying it. So let's say science, a part of science is empirical. You're looking at empirical data. So let's say you want to see which animal runs the fastest. So you line every every animal up on a line and have them do a 100 meter race. The, fat, the first one to crosses the line is the fastest. That's empiricism in a sense because you are um, making judgments or coming up with answers with questions based on what you're observing. Um, this is quite a scientific way and also tends to be quite an accurate way of looking at things, especially in the scientific field. However, with most of the things I'm thinking that relates to the social sciences, um, it might not always be the case. What may appear to be true might not actually be true. For example, the polls, for example, okay, they all think Biden, the Democrats are going to win um, by a landslide, but that's not the case. If you look at the most outspoken people in the media, they tend to lean to the left. So then you think the Democrats have a really strong holding, but then that's not also the case. So yeah, empiricism sometimes, or um, let's say empiricism to a level that is not deep enough has its own um, shortcomings. So yeah, that's also another potential flaw in my thinking, but that's also you know just how I think based on the um, tools and the ability I have currently by just looking at people around me, reading the news, and basically just observing people around me and then um, course of affairs around me to see how they are, and that's where I derive my thinking. The third point is that kind of goes back to perspective I talked about last time. So not only is my perspective political, I tend to, I'm thinking from a very introverted perspective. I tend to take myself out of the equation or I tend to only have myself in the equation, if that makes sense. Like I don't think in a, uh, I don't think in a context where uh, human engagements or direct involvement in these activity is necessarily a, um, a factor in my thinking. So that means I don't put myself directly into the situation. So then that it, um, the advantage of that is that it eliminates um, the influence of emotions and also um, prevents some of the personal biases that you might have when you put yourself in a situation. So yeah, that's where the third person perspective comes from. 
but that may also overlook some aspects, especially with regards to human emotions, because, you know, some arguments there are effective specifically because of their pathos or pathos. And also sometimes people make reasons precisely because of their emotions, because of their passion, because of how they feel. And using this perspective, it's not always easy to tap into that realm of, um, of people's minds. And you'll have to go around with, let's say, using um, psychoanalysis or, you know, using these psychological um, ideas to draw out uh, or make predictions about what people would do. But then it's easier to just experience it yourself since, you know, some humans share some basic emotional reactions. And, you know, some if you put yourself in that situation, it's almost blatantly obvious. But if you take yourself out of it, it may sometimes be hard. So that's why you encounter situations like I have this experience before. So like sometimes people are crying and I ask them why they're crying and they give me the reason. And I go like, you shouldn't be crying about that. And they get mad or they cry even more. But then sometimes down the road when I actually encountered that situation, I found out, hey, this is actually quite saddening. This is melancholic. And I shouldn't be um, telling that person to not cry. So yeah, that's a, an, a, another potential flaw. And uh, the fourth perspective is that I come look at things from a very individualistic perspective. So that's the topic about individualism and collectivism. It's a very general aspect and that can be applied to a variety of disciplines. But I'll talk about it later in my own personal sense. So yeah, um, by individualists, I mean I look at things from my own perspective. I tend to not prioritize um, my self-interest below group interest. So my self-interest reigns supreme, and I tend to value individual differences over group cohesion, if that makes any sense. Okay, and the last aspect of that is uh, I tend to look at things from a non-religious perspective, because personally, I'm not very well-versed in religion. Uh, my family coming up is a, a strongly religious family, and so yeah. I'm just starting to explore the different religions. I've been studying different religions. I've been I've been looking at the primal religions. So um, the ones where they have okay, just think about books like Things Fall Apart, the the religions and that and those kind of stories, primal uh, primitive religions. Also, I've been looking at Hinduism and lately Buddhism, which I will talk about later. But yeah, so far I haven't found. Um, any religious doctrine that I subscribe to or that I find particularly um, consistent or to a point where I think I should join or at least be a part of that religion. So I guess you can say that I'm an atheist, but I just I tend to approach things from a non-religious perspective. And sometimes that necessarily means that um, I don't make any metaphysical argument or anything that cannot directly be explained through reason and logic and science, I tend to refuse. So yeah, that's another aspect of my thinking. So then now let's talk a little bit about um, some of the, let's say, let's pick two, um, the problem of being in introvert and an extrovert and also individualism versus collectivism. I wanted to pick these two things out and talk about it because those two things, of course, there is a general definition, you know, from a, 
can say from a psychological perspective, um, from a social science perspective, from even from a political perspective, there's a variety of ways to interpret um, the binary terms. But I want to sort of give you a personal, uh, my personal attachment or what these terms means to me and hopefully that will help you understand how I think as well. So yeah, uh, on the spectrum, let's look at it on the spectrum. Oh, introverted to extroverted. Um, I'd say I'm somewhere down in, in the middle and I'm constantly fluctuating. I'm constantly fluctuating between being an introvert and an extrovert precisely because um, I have attributes of both. Although I tend to say I'm an introvert or at least the me that most of you know are quite introverted for the most part. But after, you know, thinking about myself for a while, I, there are some... Um, new conclusions that I came to. So let's talk about being introverted first. That's the me that most of you know. Um, blatantly obvious is the fact that I don't tend to interact with a lot of people at school. Um, some of you might just think that, oh, it's just because I don't like, you know, like interacting with people is a waste of time. Some of the people don't offer um, valuable insights. Or that, you know, sometimes I speak, I stutter, then that, and I say that when, when I do that, it means I don't want to talk to a person. And yeah, therefore you might think, okay, I just don't want to be with people. I prefer to be with myself. And yeah, that's partially true. A big part of being an introvert is the preference of spending time uh, with yourself rather than spending time with others. Or another more general way to put it is that um, you must have some time dedicated um, to spending time alone with yourself. And yes, I absolutely 100% agree with that. Um, I think in this day and age, um, with the massive influx of information through social media, the internet, through everything, um, it's important to have time for yourself to process everything and to think for yourself. Um, yeah, I feel like that's another topic. There's a whole other topic that I can talk about, about why some of the teachings, why some of the models that we've been taught at school or, um, life models that doesn't work anymore because of how rapidly technology has been in, um, improving and the spread of information has been increasing at an exponential rate and what that means to us so yeah precisely because of that reason and the fact that sometimes i just like to look at things from another perspective I absolutely value the time that I spend with myself, especially these days with online classes. I spend most of my time with myself from the time I wake up to the time I go to bed. There are some days when I just I, I don't I don't speak more than 10 sentences to anyone else. But I talk to myself a lot. I'll think by myself. I'll look at the information presented to me and try to process them by myself as well. So, yeah, in that aspect, it works out. But also, if you look at the traits of an extrovert or extroversion, some of the criteria I do fit in as well. I do have the propensity to speak up and be opinionated and vocal about my own opinions. Um, you can say I'm outspoken. You can say in most communities that I'm involved with, I, I can or have already established a sense of strong presence that... Um, I engage quite actively um, in most communities that I'm a part of. So that's a trait of extroversion. So that kind of conflicts because I don't talk to people, people but I also 
am outspoken in communities that I am in. So why is that the case? So I've actually thought about it and this is the reasoning that I came up with and this will also come up in later podcasts as well. It's the idea that because back in high school, um, because of my unique positions in extracurricular and how people perceive me through those extracurriculars, I've been given this image of being someone that's distant and unapproachable. And when I'm talking to a new person or people that I don't know, and I can sense that they're having that impression of me, I don't necessarily like that feeling. And I try to think about how to make them more comfortable, how to break that image down. So while I'm thinking about that, and also thinking of the things that I'm supposed to say, and also listening to the things that they're saying, there's just simply too much going on in my brain, and I couldn't catch up. So that's why I don't like to talk to those people. But it's a challenge that I have to overcome. And I'm currently working on it. So far, I haven't had a really bad stuttering day for like more than three weeks. Um, most of the people you've seen, I've seen lately, uh, mostly friends, some strangers as well. I don't stutter um, that often. I'm able to clearly articulate my ideas or respond to their ideas. So that's pretty good. So yeah, on the spectrum um, of introversion and extroversion, I'd say I am somewhere in the middle and leaning towards extroversion, increasingly leaning towards extroversion. And for me, the big determining factor is self-confidence. I'll talk about that in another whole other episode about self-confidence. Okay, and let's move on to the next, let's say, axiom, another spectrum, which is the divide between individualism and collectivism. So as I said, the most basic um, determining difference is that Collectivists value the profit, interests, or the priority of the group over um, that of the individual. So what does that mean in a school context? Or at least, you know, how does that apply to your life? Because that idea sounds awfully vague. So let's say a, a collectivist, or at least a person who leans towards the collective side of the spectrum, let's say at school... Um, they will much prefer to hang out with their own friends when they think or when they make the when they make a decision um, their decisions will be heavily heavily influenced um, by the group priority okay so let's say you're applying to colleges and your friends will like to go to colleges within close pro proximity so you guys can still remain close and you know, be of help and support each other when you guys are in college but the colleges around that area are not very well suited for your own academic pursuits or that area is just not to your liking, let's say. So then what do you do? In that case, um, if you choose to go with your friend, then that um, symbolizes a collectivist decision. And if you choose to go somewhere else, that symbolizes a more individualistic decision. So yeah. So... How does that manifest itself um, in our own social circles? So let's say weekends or time when you're alone. Do you prefer to go out with friends or do you prefer to spend it on things that you're interested in? Um, let's say it's a, it's a Saturday night. There's this TV show you really want to watch, but your friends also want to hang out. Which one do you choose? And that... Um, 
goes to show like um, if you're a collectivist or if you lean towards the collectivist side of things, you tend to value your friends, your social circle over your own individual interest. And that can also be applied to an academic context, which, you know, in a group project, do prefer a group project or a personal project. Um, would you like to start uh, more group-oriented extracurricular activities, for example, like case study or um, like things like cooperating in the UN or would you like to go for more individualistic kind of things let's say you know participating in uh, some of the sports competitions or let's say uh, doing Olympiad for example so yeah those are uh, another aspect and third aspect I'd say is the following of orders and expectations because as a collective, if you extend it to the context of the school, the society, you know, they very much expect you to follow a certain path to produce the people who fits into society and, you know, operates well within the set system and doesn't push the boundary too drastically and does nothing too radical. So then the system remains somewhat functional and also intact. So in that case, people would, you know, very, they lean towards listening to top-down structures um, not top-down structure, top-down orders and following the, um, the structure of the system. So let's say applying to colleges, let's say the common expectation is to, you know, you should go into a couple of fields. You should go either go to sciences or you should go to financing and like business and management. Or maybe you can go to law or um, let's say a medical field like those um I, academic realms that leads to professions that are um, highly regarded in our society. So if you're leaning towards to choose that and take advice um, from, let's say, your teachers, your academic counselors, whether within school or outside of school, and also your parents, then that, that, that all also goes to show a collectivist trait for following these top-down orders because you value um, uh, the priority of the group either it's your family the school system which i highly doubt that most people don't give much of a crap about the school or societies in general how people look at them so yeah and on a collectivist side of things it's basically the flip opposite so they prioritize their own time over group projects our group activity they don't necessarily hang out that much with their friends when they make decisions not necessarily don't hang out that much but that they lean towards their self-interest. If uh, hanging out with friends conflict with their personal interest, they're most likely going to sacrifice the friend side of things. And academic-wise, much prefer, uh, prefer personal projects much more than group projects, um, usually. And also um, attempts to break social norms and traditions and tend to follow their own instincts and... They tend to be, you know, um, in more extreme cases, they tend to be outsiders in the group. And for me personally, on the spectrum, I'd say I lean very much towards the individual side of things. I enjoy working with people. It's fine. But most group projects that I do end up being solo projects. If my teammates aren't also very capable, you know, um, determined and very or well-oriented individuals, then I tend to just take over the group projects and then turn them into personal projects for those of you who've worked with me before. Yeah, that's what I tend to do. 
and also um, I tend to break a lot of norms. I don't follow a lot of traditions, especially towards the uh, later half of my high school career. You know, I don't defy teachers' expectations. I don't really um, cope well with DSA, which is known to be a conservative organization in school. Things like that. Yeah, we can talk about the school system and that entire experience in another episode. But yeah. Um, things like these, I very much lean towards the collectivist side of things. It's not that I don't recognize the importance of collectivism or, you know, how that manifests itself in my life. But at this current point in my life, you know, with online classes or at least back in high school, going through an experiences that very few people have actually gone through, you know, um, it's the collectivist mindset um, doesn't work that well for me because I'm not getting that much out of my social group i've known those people for a long long time most of them and i know what they're like i know what i can get out of them and um i've basically taken most of the things i need so i lean towards the individual aspect but maybe that will change in college so yeah um another interesting idea is that these things co-vary by co-vary i mean they vary de um, depending on the other factor so um, for those of you who are in statistics or who are well-versed with probability, it's basically like the probability of A given B. They vary, and also B given A. It's like there is a symbiotic relationship between those two things. So let's say when you're, when you're in a new environment, your collectivist leaning tends to go up because... You need to establish yourself in a social circle and you need to figure out where you stand in this new, let's say, hierarchy or in this new society. You know, you have to figure out where it is. And also you tend to be more vulnerable because you're not familiar with the environment and also the entire situation and the people. So you need some sort of group assistance to help you out, to help you navigate, to help you share the load in a sense. Yeah, so that contributes quite a lot to the individual, no, no not the individual, the collective um, leaning. But once you get a good grip of the system, once you've navigated quite well and, you know, you've experienced much of the things that you can do. And especially when you're also, you know, um, dispositionally, by that I mean personality-wise, you're very different from the people around you. And the things that you do are very different from the people around you which is my case in high school, then you tend to lean towards the individual side of things and the collective independence drop down. So, yeah, that's, that's an interesting aspect to think about sometimes. It's actually an idea that I thought of after listening to Bobby's Think Tank podcast. Um, you, you guys should definitely go check it out. It's it's pretty awesome. They talk about some um, interesting themes um, in life and also just like setting up the fundamentals for you um, to write essays, to engage in critical thinking. Um, one of the things to talk about is um, nature versus nurture and also, you know, raw talent versus hard work. And they basically try to gauge a percentage or like 80 to 20 or 70 to 30. But my, kind of like my uh, claim on that is still the same thing. It co-varies. Um, when when there, is a, there isn't a set number or a set percentage of hard work or talent, it varies. So like when you're first starting out, the dependency 
on talent is much, much higher than the dependency on hard work. So let me put that in a more precise way. So let's say you're starting out in a new discipline and um, you're just navigating and you want to experience some entry-level success. So let's say you're in skate, you're, you're into skateboarding and you're learning how to ollie. The fact that you successfully pull off an ollie probably has more to do with your natural talent than your hard work. Not saying that you don't put in any hard work, but it leans towards talent. Because when you're just starting out, you don't have a strong foundation of the work, or at least those works haven't condensed and crystallized into something useful. So um, any, let's say, early success you experience in most field that you're pursuing most likely be um, a result of your raw talent. And as you go on, the percentage of raw talent decreases and the percentage of hard work increases. Just look at, let's say, Olympic swimmers, for example. They're all very naturally talented. They all have lung capacities larger than the average human being. Their body type is very well suited for swimming, you know, very streamlined, um, good for, um, uh, let's say, breaking through the water in a, I don't know what's the word. I want to say aerodynamics, but they're not breaking through air, breaking through fluid. So yeah, um, in that case, they have their raw talent, but also it, it depends a lot on their training as well. If you don't train, or at least if you don't hold yourself up to a high level of discipline, you're not going to be able to, to succeed in those realms. So once you um, get um, deeper and more invested into a discipline, you know, the percentage of your success that can be attributed to hard work increases. That's my claim. There's some scientific evidence to back it up. You can, yeah, across multiple disciplines. There isn't a general, I think there's a general theory, but you just look at your life, look at yourself. There is also some data with regards to not only sports, but also, you know, um, um, studies about education and pedag pedagogy, pedagogy. I don't know, I forgot how to pronounce that word. But yeah, the practice of education, there are multiple proofs of that. So yeah, that um, I went off a tangent a little bit over there, and now I want to bring it back to my final point, at least for this episode, which is that, so I've laid out how I think and how you should expect me to think and the type of reasonings or the type of perspective that I'll be bringing. It's also useful if you apply that onto yourself, you know, across these different spectrums. How do you think? Why do you think that way? What is your personality type? And how does your personality type influence your thinking? These are all very valuable things to think for yourself. You're more of an introvert or an extrovert. You lean towards the collective side or the individualist side. So yeah, thinking. Thinking is very important. Some of you may think that, well, you know, it can. it's perfectly okay. Just go about your day-to-day -day lives without contemplating much about, let's say, the microcosm, macrocosm of your life. And also some of the intellectual implications or drawing the connections between various aspects of your life. It's perfectly okay. Um, you don't need to, you know, challenge yourself to do that. But you should. You definitely should. It gives you insight into your own life and life of other people. It makes you better, yeah, understand them better. It makes you uh, more well-prepared to deal with your own personal challenges. And it provides you with the first step to make your life worth something. That sounds cliche and sometimes a little bit vague, but 
I will continue to elaborate on that idea in the future episodes. So yeah, um, I hope you like what I've said today. Um, I encourage you all to think about your life and to figure out how you think. Mm, just observe the patterns of your way of thinking and also look at your personalities to draw upon implications about your thinking. Um, I hope you have a wonderful day and I'll talk to you in the next episode.